Joel Parker. And I'm Tom McKinnon. This is How on Earth, the show that makes you smarter. It's Tuesday, March 1st, 2011. Coming up in honor of Children's Week here at KGNU, we go to the Boulder County Science Fair. This project has inspired me to uh, next year um, I'll be studying uh, biochem engineering at uh, CSU. This has inspired me to kind of go in that career path. And CSAP's Colorado's standardized tests are being phased out. We'll find out why from cognitive scientist Bill Bonk. And I'll tell you what's coming next and how we analyze the data. Let's begin with a look at some of the recent news in science. Kids in the U.S. are prone to tooth decay, and according to the Center for Disease Control, the rate of cavities in our youngest children has gone up 15% in the last decade. That's despite fluoridated water and a push for more dental checkups. A form of strep bacteria called Streptococcus mutans has often been blamed for these cavities, but now... Researchers at the Forsyth Institute have identified a new type of bacteria that bugs teeth. It's Scardovia wigsia. They report that this microbe is often in the mouths of children with severe early childhood cavities, even when the strep bug is not. The research will be published in April in the Journal of Clinical Microbiology. As for why this research matters... Early childhood tooth decay is the most common chronic infectious disease of childhood in the United States. It's painful and the major reason for hospital visits for young children. Understanding which microbes are involved in tooth decay, the researchers say, may lead to better emergency treatment strategies and prevention. As for why cavity-causing microbes often flourish in the mouths of very young children, the researchers say these microbes thrive on a carbohydrate diet that contains large amounts of sugar. In the U.S., sugar consumption, like cavities, is still going up. Imagine you're at a meeting and suddenly the man next to you cries out, then keels over. Do you give him first aid? If you hesitate because you're afraid you'll do more harm than good, you aren't alone. Now a study from Norway demonstrates that even four-year-olds can learn and perform basic first aid, according to research published this week in Biomed Central's open access journal, Scandinavian Journal of Trauma, Resuscitation, and Emergency Medicine. In the study, preschool children at a Norway kindergarten were taught first aid using the five-finger rule. Look at the person, talk to them, touch them to try to wake them up, call emergency services, and lastly, stay and give comfort. The children also learned how to put each other into the recovery position and how to keep an airway open. Two months later, the children still remembered the lesson, including how to dial for an ambulance. In a separate test, when one teacher pretended to faint, the children put her into the recovery position. This has led the researchers to recommend that first aid training should be given in the kindergarten via play and be reinforced throughout school to increase confidence and encourage more people to provide first aid. For their efforts to provide first aid to the entire planet, congratulations to Fairview High School's Net Zero Club, which promotes recycling and tree planting. This afternoon, the Environmental Protection Agency is giving the club a Presidential Youth Award for accomplishments. 
And now, looking ahead, there are several science events this week and next week, so get ready to mark your calendars. First, tomorrow night, CU astronomy professor John Stockey will present Native American Skies at the Fisk Planetarium on the CU campus at 7 p.m. The multimedia show will feature the traditional star knowledge of three Native American tribes who all live within one day's drive of Boulder, the Lakota, the Pueblo, and the Navajo. That's this Wednesday at the Fisk Planetarium at 7 p.m. And next week, you have your choice of two events. On Tuesday night, March 8th, the Denver Cafe Sci will explore the topic of genetic twists of fate with Mark Johnson, chair of biochemistry at the CU Medical School. That's next Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. in the large and comfortable first floor mercantile room at the Wincoop Brewing Company in Denver. Also next week, Michelle Ellsworth will share her new performance art extravaganza called Preparation for the Obsolescence of the Y Chromosome. This performance, also known as Preparation Y Second Edition, will be Monday through Wednesday, March 7th, 8th, and 9th at 7 p.m. in the CU Museum of Natural History. Tune in to How on Earth next week when we have Ms. Ellsworth here to talk about her show. You're tuned to How on Earth, the KGNU Science and Technology Show. I'm Tom McKinnon. Boulder Valley School District students competed yesterday in the Roche, Colorado Regional Science Fair, held at CU's Glenn Miller Ballroom. I swung by to take a look. I know I'm sounding cliche, but the quality of the projects was outstanding. Many could honestly be mistaken for graduate-level research. I'd love to give them all an opportunity to show off their work, but given the time limitations, here's a sampling. I'm Will Masters from Monarch High School. I'm Nicolette Laird from Monarch High School. Our project has to do with um, tracking ancestry through mitochondria, which are cells living or bacteria living inside our cells. And we wanted to kind of use that to see where the earliest living ancestors are from. So uh, for our project, we took samples from a class at Monarch and we uh, sequenced their DNA and then analyzed it with the program that Will wrote. So the way our program worked is it finds the mutations and then it uh, puts them together with a group and then it takes that group and can find where, um, where they're, uh, they originated from in the world. Um, and this, this has been used to settle the debate on whether Polynesians came from uh, South America or Southeast Asia, and they were able to use this to determine that it actually, the Polynesians did come from Southeast Asia. Um, my name is Janelle Goldberg. I go to Manhattan Middle School, and my project is called Automata Creations. Um, it's a, with finite state automata, which are simple machines and they're made up of basically circles and arrows that tell strings of characters where to go. One night, uh, my mom, she's a professor, and this is one of the things she teaches, I saw her grading some of the homeworks for her college students. So I asked her to describe it to me, and she did, and it sparked my interest. I'm Ross Donaldson, I go to Broomfield High School and the title of my project was Detecting Surface Features Using Ice, using ice Cloud and Elevation Satellite Altimetry Data on the Greenland Ice Sheet. So essentially there is this satellite, ISAT, which is Ice Cloud and Elevation Satellite, 
that measures the elevation of surface features on the Earth. I obtained the glass data from online resources and then filtered it down to data that is the data that was usable. And then I overplotted the data onto an image obtained from Landsat, which is just an imaging satellite with a 30-meter spatial resolution. From there, I enhanced an area that had high ice variancy and high ice activity and found an ice sat track that ran directly over a drainage lake that was around three kilometers wide. I made an elevation profile of uh, the ice sat track and found that the drainage lake was easily detectable in an elevation depression on the graph. And from there, I drew my conclusions that you were able to detect um, you know, ice features such as drainage lakes and crevasse fields using altimetry data and altimetry graphs. My name is Robin Reibold from Monarch High School. And my project is testing two biocontrol insects on spotted knapweed, which is an invasive species from Eastern Europe. We were testing whether or not the two insects had adverse effects on each other because it has been shown that one of them actually consumes the other while they're together in the seed head. So what are these uh, two insects? Uh, Larinus minutus, a seed head weevil, and Euphora affinis, which is a gall fly. Uh, we found that when the two biocontrol insects, the fly and the weevil, are together in the seed head, they actually have a decreased effectiveness. So we found that it would be more cost-effective and environmentally effective to just release one or the other, depending on what area it is. That was Will Masters, Nicolette Laird, Janelle Goldberg, Ross Donaldson, and Robin Reibold, all competitors at the Roche, Colorado Regional Science Fair. The award ceremony begins tonight at 5.30 at Casey Middle School. You're tuned to How on Earth, the show that makes you smarter. I'm Shelley Schlender. It's that time of year when students around the nation brace themselves for several days glued to their desks, gripping a number two pencil to fill out standardized tests that will assess their educational progress and lead to an overall score for their school. For years, Colorado's standard assessment has been the CSAP. It's given in reading, writing, math, and science. Now CSAPs are being phased out in favor of a new assessment called the Colorado Growth Model. The Colorado Model is so innovative, it's being adopted in several other states. You can find out more about the model through a new website called schoolview.org. Or listen in right now, because with us in the studio is someone who's part of the team developing the schoolview.org data site. He's cognitive scientist Bill Bonk. Welcome to KGNU, Bill. Thank you, Shelley. And um, tell us a bit about the schoolview.org project. Can you give us a sketch of what CSAP's tests are like today? Uh, CSAP data have been around for quite a while, uh, for a number of years. And um, we're, we're kind of familiar maybe with the percent proficient and advanced calculations that um, have been generally reported. Um, with the uh, onset of the Colorado growth model, we've got a new way of talking about the data and a new way of presenting the data. So schoolview.org represents um, our, our new effort at communicating around the data. We're not just um, uh, 
doing these assessments in order to assign a rating to schools, but what we want to happen is that we want conversations to coalesce around the data that are meant to gain insight and to help improve education for kids. You know, Bill Bonk, I think that one of the complaints about CSAPs have been if you're in a school district where all the students are already well off educationally, then they kind of get a free ride. Whereas school districts where there's a lot of students struggling, maybe new immigrants to the United States or children with disabilities or in some way they, they have a disadvantage when it comes to education, they don't get credit for the fact that that school is working so hard. Do you think that's been a valid critique of the CSAPs? Um, it's been a valid critique of standardized assessments across all school systems across the United States. Uh, and that's specifically one of the, the issues that the Colorado Growth Model attacks directly and shows that um, when students are making progress, it doesn't matter whether they're starting out from a very low place or a middle place or whether they're already quite proficient. With the Colorado Growth Model, we'll, it, we are able to measure their progress um, no matter where they started. And that's the, uh, one of the great innovations of our new model. Well, how about if a student changes schools? Does the old school get credit for their progress later on? Or, you know, how if you can kind of weed out all of the students having trouble today, it gives you a better CSAP score. If you can have those students sneak away and stay home long enough. Um, how are we going to solve that with the new growth model? Um, well, students aren't um, allowed to be weeded out. Schools are required to test all students. Um, it's state law. And federal law, of course, also requires that we do um, state assessment. And we, we all participate in this because it's good to know how our schools are doing and where they are um, uh, having some trouble. And it's good to know with which groups trouble um, uh, is occurring. So we, uh, with the Colorado Growth Model, we are able to um, track students starting from the beginning of their CSAP records all the way until they finish taking CSAP and take the ACT in the 11th grade. We track that at the state level longitudinally in our own data system. So students that change schools or districts, we maintain their records and we calculate the Colorado Growth Model based on where the students started. Okay, so longitudinally, that's one of those scientific statistical terms for more than just a quick snapshot that's looking at someone over time, as you mentioned, all the way through their career. Is that something that's somewhat new, too? Uh, our way of doing it is very new. Uh, we've got the Colorado Growth Model calculations developed here for our state in conjunction with researchers from the University of Colorado and from various other uh, stakeholder groups. And we uh, calculate uh, growth from the onset of a student's CSAP scores. And so we're able to say how much a student has made academic progress based on where they started, not based on how close they were to some cut score of becoming uh, being called proficient or not proficient. All right. Well, Bill Bonk, so far it's sounding better than the CSAP, at least to me. But I want to ask one more question about this, because if you're tracking progress, I'm anticipating that a very gifted student can make these huge leaps from year to year. So they go up and up and up with big stair steps, whereas a child who is struggling, a little tiny baby step might be a great accomplishment for them. Is that reflected right now in the current CSAPs, and will it be reflected in your new model? The Colorado Growth Model is currently um, calculated on the version of CSAP that is uh, being administered right now. And so we are able to um, figure out whether st uh, students are making progress 
um, and we do that by comparing them to similar students, to students' academic peers. So gifted students, students that are already scoring very, very high in the, uh, um, uh, on the assessments, are compared to other students that are also scoring very high. So it's sort of like if I told you that a child grew four inches in one year, you would want to know, okay, is that a typical amount of growth? Is that a high amount of growth? Or is that low? We need to put those four inches into a context. And in the same way, we put score gains into a context, comparing students to other similar students across the state without regard to what school they're in, to what gender they are, to what race they are, or any of that. It's all done in a blind fashion by the model. Well, Bill Bonk, it sounds like even though we have the current CSAP test still being administered, already the new data analysis is being phased in. Is that a good way to put it? Yes, the new data analysis has been around for a couple of years already, and we've retroactively calculated this um, for several years. If you go to our website, schoolview.org, you can look at the past four years of data on the CSAP for every school district and for many subgroups. You might not just be interested in the data from a particular school, but you might be interested in how math um, scores are in a school over time, especially for students maybe that are um, uh, uh, economically disadvantaged. And you can do that using our growth model website. Well, I'm eager for us to go and look at this school growth model website in just a bit, but I know there are parents out there wondering if the CSAP is going to be phased out as part of this new project, when? When will we get new tests in? Well, the CSAP is being, um, as you mentioned, the CSAP is being administered right now. Um, we are in the process of conducting a request for proposals from vendors, and they will submit their uh, their ideas about what they can do for some particular amounts of money. Later this year, um, uh, the Department of Education will choose a vendor and then begin uh, to direct the uh, uh, construction of a new test and the design. So in 2012, right now in 2011, the, the same CSAP that we're familiar with is being administered. In 2012, we will begin to map items from the current CSAP to the academic standards that uh, have been adopted by the state and that will be adopted by school districts in the coming year. And then in, starting in 2013, a new assessment will begin to, um, uh, to appear. It should have innovative items. It should look quite different. It will have additional content areas. Uh, it'll be looking at additional grades. And it will have different kinds of assess assessments, not just ones that are at the end of the year, but throughout the year in order to inform instruction and give teachers and administrators a sense of whether what they're doing is actually working in the moment. Okay, let me see if I have this then. By the year 2013, the in-the-classroom tests will be changing. There will be a new style of testing happening. In the meantime, if people want to look and see what's happening with how we assess schools with the tests that we have right now, you have this website. What, what is the website name again? Schoolview.org. Well, then let's let's go to it right now. So, okay, so you've got it up on the screen of the KGNU in the Air Studio computer. And what I'm seeing is a lot of bubbles here at schoolview.org. What are we looking at? It, it looks like there's four quadrants, one for higher achievement, lower growth, higher achievement, higher growth, higher achievement, low, no, I'm sorry, higher growth, lower achievement, lower growth, lower achievement. That's right, Shelley. So what I've done is go to schoolview.org, click on the Colorado Growth Model, and I've chosen um, Boulder Valley School District to look at their schools. And then I narrowed it down to only high schools, and we're looking at the 2010 math data. Each school appears as a bubble in this four-quadrant chart. The bigger the bubble, the more students there are. In the traditional way of looking at uh, test scores, the higher a bubble was, the higher status that school was. So we can, you already probably know what the highest performing schools in Boulder are. Um, and 
the highest performers would generally be the highest every year. So student uh, schools that had the benefit of getting kids that were already quite proficient in a subject area were, uh, were, were benefiting from that. And uh, it, it wasn't necessarily something that they themselves were doing in terms of promoting uh, academic progress. Oh, I think I get it. So the word higher achievement means that school's getting good test scores, but the word higher growth doesn't mean there's more students in that school. It means that school has changed more from its past scores. It's grown more in terms of achievement. The students have, exactly, Shelley. So um, as we move from the left to the right, we see schools that are enjoying higher growth. So we can look at two different schools here that are in the lower part of the, uh, of the uh, display. And, and let's not say their names. I, I'm sure that people can look themselves to find out what the names are, but let's not call a school out one way or the other. Right. So here we'll look at a, a relatively uh, a low growth school. Here's a school that's got um, about 37% of its high school students proficient in math. That means that 63% are not proficient. There's another school now, I'm just navigating over to the right, that has a, uh, uh, almost the exact same percentage of students that are proficient or advanced in mathematics. But their growth percentile, their growth metric um, on the new dimension going from left to right in the growth model is very, very different. Here's a school on the right which, in which students are growing a lot faster. They're making a lot more academic progress, even though if you look at the overall school, uh, the overall score, these two schools look pretty equivalent. Okay, Bill Bonk, I think I'm getting it then. You can look at this and find out which schools are really changing what they're doing. Exactly. You're seeing um, how well what they're doing is having effects on students' progress in these content areas. Well, you know, we only have a little bit more than a minute left. Left. And I think the last question I want to ask you, since we can send people to this website to learn more, is in the current time period, how should people train for the tests? There's schools all over terrified of the CSAPs because they want to get their students performing better. Should they be filling out questions and drilling children on how to take past CSAP test and do answers for them? Um, the research has shown that that sort of t teaching to the test and coaching doesn't really um, promote big gains in scores. It would be better for the schools um, to simply go ahead and teach to the standards that they already are aligning to. And um, of course, they need to have students familiar with what's going to happen during the assessment. But um, uh, specific coaching and drill and kill is not encouraged. It's probably not a good use of those students and teachers' time. All right. Well, in other words, just keep teaching, keep teaching children, despite the economic issues of teaching today, despite the school cutbacks, do your best at teaching. And that's the most likely way to improve the scores. Yes. And Boulder schools are already doing a pretty good job. You can uh, go to the uh, website and take a look and compare Boulder schools to the schools across the state. And good luck to all of the other school districts in the state of Colorado, some which are doing a good job, some which are struggling. Good luck and use this school view.org is a way to find out. I'm Shelley Schlender. We've been talking with Bill Bonk, who's a cognitive scientist, helping with this new project for phasing out the CSAPs. Thanks for tuning in. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Today's show was produced with the help of Ted Burnham. Tim Morton wrote our theme music. Tom Ossinger produced it. Additional music from Ancient Astronauts. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org. And did we make you smarter? Let us know by calling the KGNU Comet line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science and Technology Show, I'm Tom McKinnon. And I'm Joel Parker.